This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Guardian Football Weekly. This is a Europod, a chance for those of us without unlimited time to watch all the football, to ask questions like, how's Jude Bellingham getting on? Who plays for Barcelona these days? How old and slow is the current Atleti squad? Of course, there's a World Cup win to reflect on, grimly creepy Spanish Football Federation president and all. There's Das Harry Kane show, or Dare Harry Kane show in Munich. How perfect a fit is he? Can we have hopes of a title race in Germany like last year's? And in Italy, Napoli seem to have kept hold of their stars. Can they do it again with a new manager? There's players cycling home from Bundesliga games and the forensic analysis of the air conditioning units in Serie A. Of course, news always gets in the way, so we'll begin by reacting to Arsenal's win at Palace and then spend some time discussing the news that Mason Greenwood is leaving Manchester United. This is the Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glenn Denning, welcome. Hello, Max. Hello, Archie Vintat. Hi, Max. Just to let you know, it's the Harry Kane show. Oh, <laughs> oh I used to be fluent back in the day. Anyway, in the Brian Roy days at Hertha Berlin. Anyway, at Nikki Bandini, hello. Morning. And a pod debut for Semra Hunter from uh, La Liga TV. Hey, Semra. Hola, hola. Good morning. Hola. In, in the Sid Lowe role. So normally he leaves after about 10 minutes. So if you do, <laughs> that's just what happens in Spain. But maybe you're more professional than Sid. We will find out. Um, poor Sid. Not poor Sid, Nicky. He, he, he never answers his WhatsApps, not for weeks. And then he just buggers off after 15 minutes. <laughs> poor very us. very much like Sid, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't have to do too much on Palace nil, Arsenal won. There was a lot of grinding out of a result there, Barry. The sort of... They're the wins you need if you want to win a title, aren't they? Yeah, I think sort of you could apply Barney's analysis of the City Newcastle game yesterday to this one. Wasn't particularly pretty. They were dominant, deserved a win. It's three points in the bag. Forget about it and move on to the next game. There was a few interesting talking points, I suppose. Declan Rice was brilliant. And the Tomiyasu red card was a strange one. Two bookings. I don't think he deserved either of them. Uh, the first for, for time-wasting at a throw-in when it was one of his teammates, Kai Havertz, who did actually waste most of the time before throwing the ball to Tommy Asu. And the second yellow for a very, very innocuous coming together with Jordan Ayew. So I guess they can't be overturned. No, it can't. And actually, Nicky, that is feels like... I know VAR can't get involved with everything, but it feels like when it's a second yellow, they should perhaps have a look, right? I'm, I'm, with your Arsenal hat on, I presume you were like, this is a, <laughs> that is a terrible decision. I, I I think it was like doubly easy to feel sorry for Tamiyasu as well, because the first booking, like there was definitely like some collective time wasting you could point out. And clearly that's like one of the big directives, but he wasn't really the one who had the ball for most of that time wasting period. It was Havertz who had it before him. And it's just sort of like, well, last last man handing the ball gets the yellow card and that doesn't feel particularly fair either. So it was a bit of a, a, a rough double booking. And of course, like anytime you see something that's a bit unfair, you think, well, should there be a way to fix that? And then that's how we end up with VAR and everyone being very angry about VAR, doesn't it? So I don't know, maybe at some point you have to stop chasing your tail. It's like past the parcel, isn't it? It is It is literally <laughs> past the parcel and then whoever's holding the ball gets a yellow card. There's. Uh, it, it seems like every element of, of football these days is, is planned through, as in, you know, there's a plan for... Who the third penalty taker would be? Who who would be captain if 
all of these players go off. I think it just shows that you need to have a plan in place for, okay, who's going to take the yellow card for time wasting? (laughs) Because otherwise it could come back and haunt you, particularly when, in Arsenal's case, Palace have some very quick players who, (laughs) like, if it... If it even looks like you you fouled them, which is what Tommy Asu has been punished for, then you're going to have problems. So, yeah, I love that idea because like at Arsenal, like Alan Smith famously like wasn't booked forever until really mm. late in his career, and so like you just have your one player who just takes those bookings because they're never getting booked for anything else. Right, right. Because <laughs> they've got these new directives in the Premier League. I don't know if Semir in La Liga, you know, that they've said every anybody like putting up an imaginary yellow card should be booked immediately. I, I think Thomas Party tried it yesterday. He didn't get booked. But I and, and there's, you know, time wasting has become a thing. There's more on dissent. I don't know if that's been brought in around other parts of Europe or they're all a bit more chilled out about it. I was going to mention that there almost serves no purpose in time wasting in La Liga because now they're just tacking on all the extra minutes at the end of the game and we're having extra time amounting to 10 minutes, 15 minutes. In the first weekend, Getafe Barcelona, there was a total of 26 extra minutes. So it's like, it's, it's madness. It's absolutely crazy. And honestly, it's not really adding any benefits because players are getting tired. It's extremely hot in Spain, everywhere. They're playing in 40 degree weather at 10 o'clock at night. And so the actual quality of the spectacle itself by dragging the game out really is not increasing, let's say. I mean, it's really just not adding anything good to, to the game, quite frankly. And everyone over here, anyway, is complaining a lot about it, about all this extra time that's being added on and when why. But they're adding it on for everything, whether it's for dissent, for bookings, for goals being scored, for VAR, for injuries. So it's a bit crazy right now in Spain. Am I right in thinking that there was a much propor- higher proportion of red cards in Spain last year anyway oh, yeah. compared to most other places in Europe? It, by far. I can't remember the exact figure. We were talking about this the other day, but it was like, it was something like, I want to say maybe three or four times more the amount of cards than in the Premier League, something like that. It was extraordinary, the amount of yellow cards in particular, more than red cards, but just bookings overall in, in La Liga last season. I mean, they're just trigger happy, the referees. Just back to Arsenal, Nicky. Um, I enjoyed Declan Rice having to adjust his contact lens and Palace fans booing a man looking into a tiny mirror. Um, but but I, I, like the, the, the key moment is the penalty and Nketiah was brilliant in that moment. And it is interesting that, you know, he's had to start the season again. There's loads of talk about whether he is at this level, but he, he sort of, he is continually decisive. Yeah, well, it was interesting, wasn't it, with Nketiah? Because he sort of, up to that penalty, was having that game where it felt like he was doing everything right except for the finish. Obviously, like the the the, the first one which hits off the post is really, really brilliant, holding off two defenders, getting that run just right, and it's everything there until until he scores. And I do think Nketiah sort of is stuck with this unfair level of pressure when, when we talk about strikers. I think because a lot of Arsenal fans have decided he's not quite good enough. And the quite good enough is is this sort of particularly abstract way of, of thinking of a player because basically if you're not a Haaland, you can always be worse than someone, right? You can always be worse than, than, than somebody if you're not earning Haaland. The problem is I think even I sort of fall into it in, again, fan hat on because I really want him to succeed. So every time I see him do that, it's almost like I'm extra anxious for him. And and so even those of us who are sort of pulling for him uh, are perhaps in some way adding to that sense of pressure that's on Nketiah to, to be perfect all the time, which he's not going to be. But I, I do, I've always fallen in this camp with strikers and I think it's going all the way back to 
growing up watching United succeeding all the time with Andy Cole up front and everyone wanted to have a go about how Andy Cole wasn't um, efficient enough in front of goal. Andy Cole still scored heaps of goals because actually if you're getting yourself in positions all the right time, that's the most important bit and the hardest bit to do. Let's move on to the Mason Greenwood story. It isn't a pleasant subject. Um, It is an important one. Greenwood was arrested in January 2022 and in October of that year, he was charged with attempted rape, controlling and coercive behaviour and assault, occasioning actual bodily harm. Greenwood denied all the charges and they were dropped in this case due to a combination of the withdrawal of key witnesses and new material that came to light, which meant, according to the CPS, there was no longer a realistic prospect of a conviction. They said, in these circumstances, we are under a duty to stop the case. Uh, It followed a social media post from his alleged victim. Um, We are not going to read out the transcript. We undenied whether we should or not, and most of you would have probably read it somewhere else. We were aware that lots of kids listen to this podcast. Um, But it's obviously very powerful when you hear it and and depressing, um, but we decided not to read it out. The news broke on Monday that he's going to leave Manchester United after the club's six-month internal inquiry. The club said it had been mutually agreed that it would be most appropriate for him to resume his career away from Old Trafford. I've got a few statements to read on this. This is Manchester United's. Manchester United has concluded its internal investigation into the allegations made against Mason Greenwood. Our process commenced in February of 2023, following all charges against Mason being dropped. Throughout, we've taken into account the wishes, rights and perspective of the alleged victim, along with the club's standards and values, and sought to collate as much information and context as possible. This has required us to proceed with sensitivity and care to obtain evidence not in the public domain, including those with direct knowledge of the case. Based on the evidence available to us, we have concluded that the material posted online did not provide a full picture and that Mason did not commit the offences in respect of which he was originally charged. That said, as Mason publicly acknowledges today, he has made mistakes which he is taking responsibility for. Mason Greenwood said, I want to start by saying I understand that people will judge me because of what they have seen and heard on social media and I know people will think the worst. I was brought up to know that violence or abuse in any relationship is wrong. I did not do the things I was accused of and in February I was cleared of all charges. However, I fully accept I made mistakes in my relationship. I take my share of responsibility for the situations which led to the social media post. I am learning to understand my responsibilities to set a good example as a professional footballer and I'm focused on the big responsibility of being a father as well as a good partner. And finally, the CEO of Manchester United, Richard Arnold, said about the process, while we were unable to access certain evidence for reasons we respect, the evidence we did collate led us to conclude that Mason did not commit the act he was charged with. I am restricted as to what I can say for legal reasons, including the alleged victim's ongoing right to anonymity. But I am able to share the following with you, which should give you some insight into the complexity of the case. One, the alleged victim requested police to drop their investigation in April 2022. Two, we were provided with alternative explanations for the audio recording, which was a short excerpt from a much longer recording and for images posted online. And three, the alleged victim's family participated in the process and were given an opportunity to review and correct our factual findings. As Barney Ronnie wrote in his piece, and it's really worth reading it, it's technically incorrect to state as Greenwood does that he has been cleared of all accusations. Those accusations were never tested in court. Instead, they were withdrawn uh, when a key witness refused to give evidence. And Barney also says, regardless of Greenwood's state of innocence, the crimes he was accused of are grievously under-examined by the wider UK justice system. Some basic stats, 1% of rape allegations reported to the police in the UK end in a conviction, the kind of shamefully low success rate usually reserved for burglary, street theft, not life-alterating assault of the most profound kind. And according to Adam Crafton, who's done some amazing work in The Athletic, 
as of Wednesday of last week, United's plan was to bring him back. I wonder, Nikki, how you view Manchester United's handling of this case. I mean, the handling of it doesn't look good at all, I think is the politest way I can I can put it. Um, I think any time you make a decision and then reverse it a few days later, it's not going to look good in your handling of it. Now, I mean, I'm glad they reversed it because I think that where they were going with it was horrendous. And I think on the sort of flip side of this, this feels like a, a reminder if you wanted to take anything positive from the whole situation, a reminder that actually fans' voices can matter, that when sort of a, a large section of a fan base stands up and goes, no, we really don't accept this, we're not okay with it, that that sometimes clubs will be made to listen. But United's handling of it to, um, to have made a decision that upset, I mean, gosh, I think everyone who's listened to that audio was pretty um, horrified by the initial decision. Um, I think that the way they sort of kept shifting the onus of whose responsibility it was to even make this decision, this ridiculous conversation of, oh, we're going to ask the women's team what they think about it, because that's a, a, a reasonable thing to to put on people who are nothing to do with this picture, who are not responsible for this situation, who are now going to become, um, if they make any sort of public uh, a verdict on it going to become themselves targets for the trolls and the words I won't say out there who want to to, to make this situation worse. I I think their handling of it has been horrendous. Um, and the only upside I can say to it is I think that in the end, they've got to a better decision than where they were. And so I suppose better to be capable of changing your decision than not. But I, the way they got there is terrible. And look, football has a problematic relationship. We've talked about it before with domestic and sexual violence. Women's Aid, a charity uh, which works to end domestic abuse against women and children, said, we know that today's news from Manchester United that Greenwood will be moving on will be a relief for many survivors of domestic and sexual abuse. Football is loved by so many people worldwide. Players are often idolised by fans. So the way that alleged domestic abuse cases are treated in clubs has a huge impact on public understanding about what is accepted and tolerated in society. And that, Semra, is a, a key point, isn't it? It is. And I think even though it never went to court and he was never officially charged as guilty or not guilty in this particular case. I think in the court of public opinion, many people, based on the audio recordings, based on the the photos and what they've seen, what they heard, they probably feel as though he is guilty. And that really does have a lot of weight. And so I completely agree with Nikki that the way that Manchester United handled this whole thing, the fact that they took, what was it, 18 months in total to make a decision, the fact that they took so long when the case was dropped, what was it, six months ago? They were just treading their feet, dragging their feet and, and making this decision. And that also just speaks volumes that we have so much work to be done here. And I think it shows a little bit of lack of respect to the alleged victim in this case and maybe on a wider scale to just women overall. Um, and the fact that maybe people don't feel as though they can be safe enough to come forward and really push forward and go all the way with trying to go to court and trying to get justice for what happens because you talk about a one percent i mean that is shamingly low and it's really disappointing and it's really quite sad so clearly there's a wider issue here on a societal level that has to be looked at that has to be changed and maybe we all need to do a little bit of self-reflection on this but i think ultimately it is a good thing it's very positive that they did come to this conclusion and i think as those women who spoke out said it's gives them, I think, a little bit of peace for those survivors to know that some justice, some semblance of justice has been made in this particular case. 
but the whole thing really just overall is is so sad quite frankly just the more i hear about it the more i just can't even imagine to put myself into the position of the alleged victim here of just what they are going through on a mental level and it's heartbreak heartbreaking doesn't even cover it max um it's it's horrific and yeah barney's piece i thought hit it hit it on the head in terms of the morality of it and i keep coming back to that statistic that semra just mentioned there and football has a big it has many problems and this is one of its biggest problems is thinking about how they how how they treat young men uh growing up because the point for me is that Mason Greenwood was there since he was 7 and i think that when you are surrounded by men and serious men all the way up through those age groups i there needs to be some sort of education that is going on there and that is evidently not happening across the board if you look at some of the stories that are out there across europe this summer so yeah and that begs the question where where's the moral responsibility there doesn't seem to be much of it unless there's mass amounts of public pressure but it should be coming from them or from those that are involved in this case obviously manchester united maybe they eventually came around to it but it took them far too long do you think do you think a football club is qualified Barry, to sort of make these sort of decisions. Gary Neville was saying, look, on issues like domestic abuse, violence against women, there needs to be independence. It shouldn't be that Manchester United are the judge and the jury on such a significant issue, which I think is probably right. Well, I think it was obvious to most right-thinking people from the very day that the audio footage and the photos of uh, Greenwood's alleged victim were made public, it was quite obvious to me anyway that he would never play for Manchester United again. That was 18 months ago. And apparently, as recently as last Wednesday, Manchester United thought there was every chance he would be able to play for the club again. And they've luckily made the right decision, but in completely the wrong way, I suppose. You know, it it was made reluctantly, um, and it was made because they were railroaded into making it by pressure from from journalists fans media groups politicians and and you know women's refuge charities and and you know what not so yeah they've made the right decision but it took them a very long time to get there and and they kind of made it by mistake i think under extreme duress so i, I sorry to answer your question i don't think you know something as straightforward as this it's it's a difficult moral decision for any reasonable person to make. We should say we haven't seen any of the new material mentioned by the CPS and Manchester United in their statements, and it is therefore difficult to speculate on Mason Greenwood's guilt. And the burden of proof for bringing your club or your workplace into disrepute is very different from being tried and found guilty in a court of law. And I don't know if it, I don't know if anyone else feels the same, but Nikki, the sort of Manchester United line that, look, we know stuff that you don't know and we can't tell you, 
which makes this all very different. And it would make it a lot easier if that could be public. Maybe it can't. I don't know why it can't. I don't think it can, Max, because it might... Give away the anonymity. The victim's right. identity can't, can't be revealed. So that's probably... Right. Well, that that's a, a reasonable assumption to make, but it could also be something they're hiding behind. It's just that overwhelming feeling, Max, that this wouldn't even have been a discussion if this wasn't someone who was perceived as a very valuable asset to the club. If this had been... Because this sort of talk about... Um, their responsibility to a player they brought up through their their, their youth system. Um, it's very hard to believe that if this was someone who wasn't expected to be a first team player, that they would even have have blinked before parting ways. And I think that is the sort of ugliest part of all of this is the sort of realization that people's humanity can go out the window for their financial value in football decision making it's not really a realization we've known this for a long time but i think it's still when you're confronted with it like that it's it's hard to swallow all right that'll do for part one we'll be back in a second ein podcast macht kurz pause hate speech dagegen hört nicht so einfach auf wer hat dir überhaupt erlaubt zu reden schlampe verzieh dich in die küche bevor ich herausfinde wo du wohnst und dir persönlich danke sage hör nicht auf die hater Du machst einen richtig guten Job und wir stehen alle hinter dir. Wir alle entscheiden, ob wir das Netz dem Hass überlassen. Werde Teil der Telekom-Initiative gegen Hass im Netz und setze ein Zeichen. Telekom. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we are going on tour uh, in November, starting in London on the 13th, Bristol the 14th, Manchester the 15th, Dublin on the 20th and 21st, Brighton on the 22nd. Um, uh, it'll be a host of your favourite Football Weekly regulars and me and Barry. Uh, Nikki, you're coming to Brighton, so that's an easy trip for you, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm not coming. That's just where I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're coming to you. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, and you've, you've got a free house, so we will uh, <laughs> we'll let everyone in the crowd know that's where we're heading afterwards. Uh, tickets are on sale. Go to theguardian.com slash fwtour23. Um, Semra, let's do Spain then. Congratulations on winning the World Cup. Thank you. You're obviously brilliant, right? We talked about it a bit yesterday. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly Pod have talked about how you completely outplayed us and how brilliant Bombati is. What is the general feeling? We talked about this on the radio, didn't we, that there is a kind of mixed feeling about winning the World Cup. And there should never be a mixed feeling about winning a World Cup. There shouldn't. But now it's even worse, given the whole Luis Rubiales situation, Ugh. which I'm sure we're going to come to. But yeah. Let's leave that aside for right now. We can come back to that. Let's just talk about the immediate aftermath of winning the World Cup. Um, yeah, it was a very mixed feeling, I think, for a lot of people. On the one hand, there was so much pride. So many people were so incredibly excited and thrilled and, and exhilarated by the fact that Spain won a World Cup again. And this is the first time that the women have done it ever. They've only been to a World Cup three times. The project really effectively has been around for the last eight years. And Spain now joined Germany, Archie, as the only nations to have ever won a World Cup with the women's and the men's national team. So that's... Doesn't feel like it here, Samra, let me tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I would just slip it in anyway, because I think it's a really nice... All good. Effect. <laughs> so on the one hand yeah 
people are really like, this is this is brilliant for women's football because this is exactly what we needed for people to start taking it more seriously, to start putting more investment in the game, whether that be through sponsors, through TV rights, through fans, through clubs, whatever. But it also showcases the talent that Spain actually has. And in the face of adversity, they can still overcome everything, all of the obstacles, and still go on to win the biggest and best tournament around. On the other hand, there was all that controversy and the, the crisis that went on for the whole year in the lead up to this tournament, for anyone who maybe isn't familiar with it. In a nutshell, after they were eliminated by England at the Euros, three of the captains came out and they said things need to change. We're really unhappy with the way that the setup is organized. There's uh, a lack of seriousness. There's no attitude of hunger of wanting to win things. And the way that it is now, we're never going to win anything. So 15 players went on to send a private email to the Federation, basically citing their emotional well-being and their physical well-being and were concerned about the methods of the coach, saying he wasn't professional enough and, in effect, wanted to professionalize the whole thing. The Federation responded very badly and cited them as basically little girls and said in a very condescending tone that if that's how it is, then they're not welcome back to the national team unless they change their tune. It became a very ugly, very public row between these players and the Federation and the coach. Obviously, the Federation backed the coach. Those players didn't come back, with the exception of three in the end that were taken to the World Cup. So 12 were left out. Um, so there was this feeling that there was no chance they were going to do very well at the World Cup. And somehow they managed to, to come together and go on to win it. So there is a bit of this bittersweet feeling because now... The fact that they were successful, some people feel as though it could be detrimental to the actual growth of the women's national team within the federation because of the coach. Because now everyone is singing his praises, even though he up until now has been actually part of the problem. So it's going to rumble on after this, for sure. Um, but hopefully, somehow, there can be a resolution put into place and actually, hopefully, something good can come of this. I was curious about the the end of the game because this this story's been like we've known about this story or tournament and and like immediately as the game ends you could see people sort of picking up on the fact of oh you know players have turned their back on him and stuff but then actually by the end they were throwing him up in the air and and I I, I I'm really curious about the dynamic in in that in, in that squad like is it just that there are some who really have sort of put up with it but are still siding with the 15 who you know who who you know, protested or is it about, I don't know, you know, is, is, there, is there a split within the squad even about it? I think because they all had such a common goal, they decided to kind of put their feelings about the situation aside and said, right, let's just come together on this and let's prove to the world that we are capable of, of actually winning something. But yeah, I think there's no love lost between certain players in particular. I would actually cite Alexia Putellas as being one of them. I think whenever she possibly can, she tries to stay as far away from Jorge Vilda uh, as much as possible. But a lot of these players, I do think there is a sense of loyalty to him in a way because they were fringe players, they were inexperienced players at this level, and he called upon them to replace those 12 that initially were part of the original squad. So there probably are some players who get along with him, maybe like his methodologies or like the way that he does things or whatever. But I do think there's definitely still those within that are not a big fan. And so they just kind of put up with it for the for the sake of the group, really. 
and you imagine how good they could be if they had all their best players, right? And look, I suppose now we see what the president of the federation is like. We kind of understand why he might have just supported his manager over the players. Yeah, Luis Rubiales, you touched on it. He's now apologised for kissing Jenny Hermoso on the lips after Spain won the cup. I didn't like it, uh, she said on Instagram. Statement released later on her behalf, defended Rubiales on Monday. Over the weekend, he said, oh, it's nothing. You know, you're all idiots. Or something worse to those effect. And on Monday, he said, I was completely wrong. I have to admit it. Um, it was without a bad intention at the time, with a lot of excitement. In the moment, we saw it as a natural, but outside a commotion has formed. Um, can we move on to some football, Semra, and La Liga, and start by asking how brilliantly Jude Bellingham has started and how and, and how the Real Madrid fans feel about him? I bet Archie is probably really heartbroken that he left Germany because, wow, what a phenomenon. I mean... Correct. He's won. <laughs> I mean, by by what I've seen in the media, it sounds like his teammates at Dortmund are quite happy he's on the door. But I'm sure everyone else in Germany who enjoyed his football is probably quite sad that he's left. He is. I mean, he's something else. He really is. Uh, he's won over football fans, not just in Madrid, but pretty much across the country. I mean, they were playing in Almeria this weekend and there were Almeria fans that were there with Jude Bellingham shirts on and cheering him on and and being so excited by the display that he was putting on. I mean, he scored three goals in two games, plus an assist. He's already bettered the record of Cristiano Ronaldo when he landed to Real Madrid. He can do everything. I mean, he's he's box to box. He he can play as a holding midfielder. He can play as an attacking midfielder. He can drive forward with the ball. His passing game is on point. He can assist. He can score. He's omnipresent. I mean, he's literally everywhere. And he's got so much, I think, almost elegance in the way that he plays. And he's so physical and he's so strong and, and he's so intelligent the way that he reads the game. I mean, we really, truly are blessed as football fans in Spain to have him here in the league because he's given it a massive boost, I would say, in a very short amount of time. And once again, people are really excited about someone. I do miss watching Jude Bellingham and will miss watching him live on a regular basis. It was a privilege. The one thing I'd say... I hope that Real Madrid get the the amount of games that he plays right this season because throughout last season, there was this bit of strapping on his leg that as the season went on, got larger and larger and larger and started to just take up his whole leg uh, to the point that he didn't play in Dortmund's <laughs> final game of the season. And there are still some fans who wonder if he played, would we have won the title? So, That's right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, incredible. Well, that's a good point because Carlo Ancelotti is effectively building the team around him. So it kind of seems as though he's going to play every single game if he possibly can. But yeah, based on what you said, that's that's probably not going to be the smartest of ideas. They'll have to watch out for that. Archie, can I ask about those that story Samra alluded to about Jude... Um, not being missed by by his Borussia Dortmund teammates. Is it true they're they're happy to see the back of him? And if so, why? Oh, I want him to be a nice guy, Archie. I mean, after all the sleaze we've had to talk about, <laughs> don't don't ruin Jude for us. <laughs> <laughs> you want you want you to be a nice guy. I think he is. He <laughs> <laughs> so so look. 
there are moments that stand out for me of when I've seen Jude Bellingham tearing into his teammates on the pitch during a game and being like, what? Why did you do that pass? Why didn't you play it then? With a few more expletives, I think, as well, right? Yeah, I was, I was putting it diplomatically. Um, yeah. And I, I would say that you can put that down to youth experience, but also just the high standards that uh, he didn't feel were being met. But it's not going to make you popular with players who are older than you, with, with some players who are older than you and, and don't don't necessarily respect that and think that they deserve more respect. There was a thing as well. So Jude Bellingham would sometimes when it's generally that the team walks around for a, a lap of honour and applause at the end of a game and Bellingham would go in front of the team sometimes and take his own personal lap of um, oh. lap of honour, which... Like Barry at the live shows. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, he probably deserved it. If I'm being on, like the yeah. way, like Barry at the live shows. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Can I ask about Barcelona? Barcelona, Semra. How are they? How are they? Look, they obviously won the league last year. At least I, I, you know, memory serves me correctly. They did. How are they looking this year? Because obviously, Real Madrid, I think, have improved, right? Yes, Barcelona, uh, still a bit of a hot mess. I think that hasn't really changed too much. They still have, obviously, huge financial problems. So they haven't really been able to go into the market and buy anyone. Though the signings that they made were really, I have to say, quite quite astute in terms of the free transfers that they brought on boards. Gunduan being one of them. Inigo Martinez, a centre-back from Athletic Club. As well as... Um, so Oriol Romeo came back home. He used to play for the club a long time ago when he was a kid. Now they brought him back 12 years later. So those are all very good signings. They've obviously been trying to get rid of players as well. Some have left like Busquets and Jordi Alba. So there's still a transition going on. I think in terms of the football that they're playing, it's quite lackluster at the moment. There aren't really any established patterns of play. They've come up against Atafe and Cadiz, two teams that are very defensive and quite robust when it comes to the defence that they put up. And Barcelona always struggle against teams like that, who close up shop, who don't offer a lot of spaces. And that's the problem. They don't really have anyone right now with a lot of creativity to try and open up the spaces or make something in the tight spaces. You have Gundogan, who we've seen with some amazing ability to actually break the lines every now and again. We all know of the quality of Gundogan. We saw it with Manchester City, didn't we? So I think it's just going to take time for everyone to kind of get familiar with one another um, in terms of those new incorporations. He's obviously still trying to figure out how to best make use of the midfield that he has. Lewandowski still very much looks like he's off the pace, like something is, is wrong. Um, I don't know if he's still carrying physical issues or he's just a bit off it for whatever reason. It could be, or maybe it's the age, or I don't know. But you would have thought that after a proper preseason, he would kind of be, be back up and running because he hit the ground running last season when he joined from Bundesliga. But he finished in a very bad way that say poor form and he's kind of carried on with that so Barcelona look a team under construction they were lucky to eke out the wind in the end against Cadiz I think because Cadiz had some unbelievable chances and clear chances better than Barcelona but I don't really fancy their chances to win anything this season and I think playing at Montjuic playing at this small stadium um, because they're obviously not the camp now why they're going under a remodel I think it's really going to hurt them and I think it'll be interesting to see how they cope with it in Europe in particular because I don't think they're quite ready for that level of competition yet 
can I ask you so much just about Atleti? I think I've said this before, but signing Sion Chu and Aspilicueta and trying to get Hoiberg, just, it makes me feel they're going, Simeone is going for the slowest possible <laughs> team you could ever have. And I'm, 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 I'm just here for it. Maybe at the back. But going forward, honestly, they have great attacking options. You've got Antoine Griezmann, who was by and far and away the best player in the MVP of the season last season, apart from Tostegan. And you've got Carrasco, who is incredibly fast playing as a wing back and also very technically skilled and gifted. You've got Memphis Depay, who's actually started pretty well so far this campaign. Um, you've got Avaro Morata, who still has to kind of come back into the fold as well. So he's got a lot of options in terms of going forwards, and there is speed and pace there. But yeah, at the back, I think it's it's a little bit slow, maybe. Um, but he does have fast wing backs, so I guess that kind of okay. counteracts. I'll forgive him. The the slow centre backs. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good for La Liga. Uh, we'll be back uh, in a second to do Harry Kane mania. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Harry Kane mania, Archie, talk to us about it. Yeah. I, firstly, just being English and seeing the captain of England coming over here is exciting. I didn't expect it. I thought there wasn't a good chance of seeing Harry Kane in Lederhosen, let alone a Bayern shirt. So that we get both is is kind of cool, even if... The rest of the league thinks, oh, thank you, Bayern. Thank you so much. I was with a Frankfurt fan on Sunday and was like, oh, no, how great it is for the Bundesliga. He's going to come to my stadium and score four goals. I really appreciate it. <laughs> but look, uh, I think he is he's a player that Bayern have missed. And the reaction here has been widely positive as well, that a player of his stature would would come and and see the whole challenge of Bayern and yeah uh when I was I was in Bremen on on Friday night to to watch his debut and that on the mania side of it I saw so many stewards departing their posts as uh, as he was walking from the changing room to the bus because they're like I have to get a I have to get a selfie I have to get a selfie I had one of the steward bosses being like get me a list of all the stewards who have run to him because there were so many um, but he dutifully was stopping for everybody. And I think just in all aspects of the way he's gone about it so far, I say model pro. Yeah, and we I mean we sort of know that's true. So is that is that title race over? Archie, who could who could threaten? Why do you why do you throw me into this already, you bastard? Like because I know I know what's attached to that. I know what's attached to that. You're basically saying, Oh well, it's not worth watching, is it? Because we all know who's gonna win. Listen, I mean, Man City have probably already won the Premier League, so I can't, you know, that's Brighton <laughs> stuff. Yeah. You know, it's the same <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> but can we have what we had last year? Can we have that? I mean, Harry Kane does make such a difference. I don't want to. I don't want to do Eric Maxim <laughs> to promoting a disservice, Archie. But well, yeah, right. Um, look, so the, there's one team that can beat Bayern, and that's Bayern um, because they've had their own problems as well. Uh, before the start of the season, there's been talk of the fact that Joshua Kimmich has said that I am a number six, I am a holding midfielder, and Thomas Tuchel, and this is all played out in the press, has gone, you're not a number six, I want a new number six. Uh, so there's issues there. He's 
not been particularly complimentary of Leon Goretzka, and yet he started him uh, against Bremen. In goal, Manuel Neuer is still not back from his skiing injury, and uh, there's been talk of, well, are they going to sign a new goalkeeper who can fill that void? Defensively, there had been questions, but then I saw them play on Friday night, and Minjay Kim, um, as Nicky, I'm sure, can say, oh my God, what a beast. Um, it's so unfair. So good. He's so good. I'm, he's, I'm so I, sad he's left and, um, that's, that's been a fun thing. Thomas Tuchel has like declared his love and been like, I love Kim. Kim is great. Uh, and I can see why. To answer your actual question, Max, whether teams are going to be able to get close enough, I don't think so. Now that Bayern have Harry Kane, Tough, tough. I mean, I can go into some of the challenges if you want. No, thanks. Um, f- uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty, Max. Um, we'll do that on the next one. Um, the fun bits you've sent us. Freiburg accusing Hoffenheim. You don't want anything on Xabi Alonso's Leverkusen. They're fine. Okay, give me 30. Come on, because this is encroaching on your Fulham time. Oh, oh, well, okay. Shit. I can tell you've become a parent. <laughs> Like, the way you talk to me. Unbelievable. Shabby Alonso. Young Ian. Young Ian. Young Ian is 18 months old. I don't talk to him. I just say, stop colouring in the walls, mate. Anyway, carry on. So, yeah. Shabby Alonso's Leverkusen are going to be exciting this season. The signings they've made. Granit Xhaka gives them a bit of added bite. Jonas Hoffmann is a very solid Bundesliga player coming over from Gladbach. They beat RB Leipzig on the opening day uh, in really entertaining fashion. Xabi Lonzo is doing a fun thing as well. Every time they score from a set piece because they were so bad offensively from them last season, he's giving the team a treat. We don't know what the treat is, but again, right. it's it's it sounds fun. Pizza Hut. Yeah. Probably, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah, the, the only thing that I think will... Uh, shoot them in the foot is defensively I'm not that convinced there you go lots of toboggans in Germany maybe they'd stop at a toboggan on the way home that would be that would be fun um, uh, so yeah quick bits from you Freiburg accusing Hoffenheim of only watering half of the pitch at half time is fun my mistake it was during like it was during one of the cooling breaks even uh, right. which for me is even sneakier as if like they're all going over to the bench and then it's like right quick while they're not looking whoosh um, but yeah, Freiburg still won that game. Um, and then, yeah, the other story is uh, with, with Kevin Behrens, who for much of his career, I would say, has been a beast of the, the, the second division. And he's gone to Union Berlin and has really ignited. He scored a hat-trick of headers uh, on, uh, on Sunday and then was spotted on his way home from Köpenick in Berlin, uh, just cycling home. And it was so just... Good. The romance of it. Love it. Yeah, so Germany. That is just so brilliantly <laughs> German, isn't it? Um, Nikki, Serie A, sorry, for, uh, sorry to only get to it now. Um, so we've seen Napoli won the league. It was wonderful. Spalletti went. I can't quite remember why he went, actually. Seems seems like you shouldn't leave if you've done that. And he's now the Italy manager. So who is in charge of Napoli? They've kept hold of Kvaratschela and, and Osserman, haven't they? Which I don't know if you're surprised about, but it's good news for them. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not hugely surprised by Osman. The Spalletti story, I try and do a, a potted version of it. So yes, as you say, wins the league in Napoli, is a hero. Um, you think that relationship should sort of continue happily. There was an option in his contract. Um, so his contract was due to extend, end at the end of last year, but there was an option to extend it by one season. Everyone expected he'll sit down with Aurelio De Laurentiis, the owner, and have a chat about it sign a new contract, new terms. He's earned it. He's just won the league. But the, the uh, Napoli actually just said, you know what, we're just taking that option. And they didn't even 
ask him about it. They did it and sort of informed him after it was a, a done fact. We've extended your contract by a year, which uh, Spalletti, I think, took not well. Felt like he'd been sort of not treated very respectfully and said, you know what, I'm tired, I'm done. And uh, so actually they sort of basically agreed that he would take this year off and he's quite happy with that. He genuinely like is um, quite happy sort of being on the land. He has... I think it's like 120 acres or something. He's got, um, you know, olives and 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 a farm basically. And so he went off to his farm, and there was an, written into that agreement. Basically, Napoli said, "All right, well, we'll let you not take up this year without any sort of penalty clauses, but if you try and coach anyone else in 23, 24, then there's a three million euro fee to pay, which has become relevant because now he's taken the Italy job, and De Laurentiis is saying, "Well, where's my three million then?" And Italy are basically saying well, we're not going to pay that then. And so now the question is whether or not Napoli are spiteful enough, I suppose, to push their former manager who led them to their first league title in 33 years and make him pay it. Because if they do, it seems like, certainly what's been reported is the Italian Football Federation has said, we're not going to pay it. So if it falls to anyone, it'll end up being Spalletti paying three million euros for the privilege of coaching the national team. Now, that's a lot of olives. to cover that. Um, but um, it's a ridiculous situation. Um, I, you know, you can sort of go through each step of it and go, well, individually, I understand the decision, but it's a ridiculous situation overall. And uh, yes, Rudy Garcia is the manager of Napoli, um, which um, is a very, was a very surprising choice for lots of people in Italy. I mean, we're not talking about a manager who's got some great sort of track record of, of winning major silverware. And I think that a lot of Napoli fans were expecting either that, you follow up winning the league title by hiring an established international name or by going after one of the young up and coming bright stars of Italian football, like Vincenzo Italiano, who had a, has done incredible work at Fiorentina and has started this season again, brilliantly at Fiorentina. And I think absolutely deserves a job like this. Uh, so Rudy Garcia, I think definitely has work to do to win over all the fans in Naples. But as you said, they've kept Ossiman and they've kept Kratzkelia. Kratzkelia isn't actually fit to start the season, but it doesn't matter because Victor Ossiman is basically like having Erling Haaland in your team. You know, he's going to just carry you sometimes. And on the opening weekend, he scored twice and continues to be as, as brilliant as he ever has been. An unfair question for you, Barry, from producer Joel. Four former Chelsea players lined up for AC Milan last night. Can you <laughs> name them all? That is unfair. I love these bits. Um, I love these bits. <laughs> Christian Pulisic. Yep. Uh, Kepa. No. Is Kepa there? No. no. Uh, Kepa's in Madrid. He went to Real Madrid. He's at Real Madrid. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Vulgar. Um, <laughs> yeah. Christian Pulisic and three others. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Ruben Loftus-Cheek. That's two. Yeah. Yeah. And Tamori. Yeah, Max just got another okay. one. And I the last one's actually down. like super obvious, but I don't know if you'll oh, um, think of it. The striker, Giroud. Mm-hmm. Go. I got three of them. Well done. Sorry. Three out of four. That's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, the title race is open, right? Isn't it, Nikki? That's the point. New manager yes. for Napoli, so, Milan. And... Don't watch that Bundesliga. Okay. That's terrible. That's shite, it's yes. one Fuck you all. <laughs> <laughs> Do watch La Liga and Serie A. <laughs> <laughs> But genuinely, I mean, jokes aside, I mean, there's been four different winners the last four years and I can't tell you who I think is a clear favourite this season. Napoli, as we just established, have a manager who a lot of people aren't certain about. They did also lose Kim. Um, Inter were in a Champions League final last season, but since then they've sold 
um, well, they haven't sold. They've they said goodbye to Dzeko and Lukaku. Um, also, Marcelo Brozovic is gone. Now, some of the new players they've brought in um, have looked pretty promising. Um, Arnautovic is not exactly a glamorous signing, but he did set up a goal for, for Lautaro this weekend. Um, there's talk of them signing Pavard, actually, Archie, which is um, an interesting one. Would certainly be a, a nice signing for Inter if they could land him. Uh, Milan had a really nice start last night against Bologna. They've signed all sorts of players. Um Pulisic scored a, a brilliant goal on his debut. Loftus Cheek had a, a solid debut, but there's also Chukwueze's come in there. Um, they've really reinforced that that area behind the attack. Um, Atalanta even wouldn't shock me if they make a dark horse run at it this season. I think um, they flipped Hoyland really smartly for a sort of wealth of other players to reinforce the squad with Gianluca Scamacca had quite a nice debut. Charles de Catalera, who was Milan's big signing last summer and had a terrible season there. Um, scored on his debut for them and I, I I think if ever there was a season when Atalanta could insert themselves seriously into conversation it could be now and finally the the, the boring one but I wouldn't be shocked Juventus haven't got European competition this season they've got nothing else to worry about and Federico Chiesa reminded us on the opening weekend that he's a brilliant footballer Dusan Vlavic looked as sharp as he had very realistic chance that, that Juventus are, are right in the mix for the title race this season. So there's a lot of candidates for sure. I, I just worked it out. Uh, you could buy 196 tonnes worth of olives. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't know how big. He's got a big farm. <coughs> you never know. Um, well, olive oil is very expensive in the UK anyway. I don't, yeah, I don't that's know true. I, don't, I mean, I imagine, and also you pack a lot of olives into a especially one of the posh bottles, you know, the really dark green <laughs> stuff. They can be, you can put that in your trolley and go like, you know, that's a serious investment when you get there and you think, well, I, can't, I don't, I don't want to put it back. I don't want to look like a cheapskate, but I would have got a cheaper olive oil if I'd, if I'd only known. Um, Alan says, Inter and Milan aren't really going to build two separate stadiums now that they can't demolish the San Siro, are they? So they can't demolish the San Siro. This is, I mean, I'm delighted about that, if that's true. It, yeah, it's, it's been it's been designated as a sort of cultural heritage site and therefore can't be torn down. Um, and right now, both clubs uh, are making their plans and, and trying to work these things out. I'm slightly at the point with the stadium talk for, for most Italian clubs and, and certainly the, the Milan clubs that I'll believe it once some ground is broken and some buildings start being made, because this has been talked about for so long, Max, that... Um, it, it it feels like it it might never happen, but yeah, it'll be sad when it does happen. If it happens, I love San Siro. Even Inter's opening game there this weekend, again, just remind us seventy five thousand people what it sounds like when they want to make a noise is 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 really something. And yeah, but but that is that is to answer the question. Yes, that's that's what's on the cards in theory until until anything actually happens. Now Archie's been so hot this pod that he's been toweling himself down, and that brings me to the air conditioning units of of set all the clubs or just some of them what's happening no it was it was just a, a scene last night um Bologna played Milan and Milan's players didn't go back into the locker room because it was so hot because the away, the away locker rooms were um according to Stefano Pioli they were he was saying well normally it'd be 40 degrees but they were 60 degrees because there's no air conditioning going on in there it made me laugh actually thinking I'm sure someone would have seen this Carlo Ancelotti I think was saying the other day that he'd rather like, take a pay cut than have cameras in the changing room so is the, the the new clever strategy if you want them to make sure you can see what's going on at half time? Just don't let them back into the locker rooms. Make them stay out there on the pitch, and then they have no choice. But 
I feel like all of Europe is dealing with this. Certainly, Samra talked about it earlier with the heat. Like, it's really hot and it's August, and games in Italy are kicking off at nine at night with temperatures of 30 degrees. And in this case, the locker room was so hot that it was even hotter than going to go back in there. Um, this is a, a knock on of the, the, the summer that Europe's having. But yes, if you're going to insist on games being played in August, then you probably need to think about playing more. Um, yeah, I mean, the world is burning. Um... So sort of ostensibly quite funny to see professional footballers sitting on the grass with an orange, like Sunday league, but... Were, were they getting a Phil Brown style talking to? <laughs> no, they were winning. So it wasn't, it wasn't such a bad one. It would have been more interesting if they had been on the wrong end of things, I guess. Archie, you'd be delighted to know we do have time for your Fulham thoughts. <laughs> I'm jealous of Barcelona fans, Max, because this summer when they were asked to pay for new season tickets in in this in the stadium they're going to be playing in the, the Olympic Stadium they said we're not paying that much you can uh, you can go stick it to the club and I wish that something like that would happen at Fulham where uh, yeah ticket prices went up and nothing's really happened but we do have 46 million in the bank for Alexander Mitrovic, who was always there for the money, if we're being really honest. It's a shame that he's gone. Thanks for the memories. And our sporting director, it feels like he's in an open relationship with us and it's against our will because he's spending so much of his time on wrestling. But we're like, can you spend some time on Fulham and coming up with a long-term right. plan? It's like those Louis Theroux documentaries where two people are in an open relationship, but yes. One of them is really up for the open relationship, and one is going well. I kind of, you know, I, I see, I understand it. I don't. Yeah. I'm not. I'm closed. Yeah, yeah. We lost three 0 at the weekend to Brentford, and I'd say the difference is one club is smart, and the other thinks they're smart. Right. And I think you can work out which is which. We need to sign some players, or we're going down. Oh well. You had a good year last year. That's how it goes. Yeah, exactly. It? I like the championship, mate. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Um, all right. Well, that'll do for today. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Barry. You're welcome. Uh, thanks, Archie. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks. Stay for the whole thing, Semra. We'll let Sid know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. This is The Guardian.